Well, happy Thanksgiving, church family. And uh, so excited to have the opportunity to be uh, back uh, teaching God's Word and so glad to have now our second service happening on Sunday morning. I want to begin with a little bit of a quiz. Someone clapped. I think we can all clap. That's exciting. I want to begin with a little bit of a quiz. Uh, some of us are getting used to being back uh, in school. And so uh, here's a bit of a quiz. It's a, it's a job title quiz. So I'm going to state the job title and then I want you to try to answer uh, what job is being described here. A tactile media distribution technician. What, what, what job? Of course, I'm sure you all got that. That's a paper boy, right? Anyone with a paper route is putting uh, tactile media uh, into someone's hands. They're, they're, um, they're a tactile media distribution technician. How about this? A transparency enhancement facilitator. A transparency enhancement facilitator is, if you guessed window washer, then you're absolutely right. Good job, good job. My son's got it right. They might have seen my notes earlier, I'm not sure. Um, how, about, how about, this is helpful early on a Sunday morning, liquefied caffeination dissemination officer, or a barista, I think we got that one, right? Okay, and then how about this, how about pastor? Pastor, what on earth does a pastor do? As we've been going through this series about church and trying to define first what, what is the church and how do you become part of the church? What does baptism mean and how does that relate to membership? That's what all of us are called. We're called members. And then the Lord's Supper, what is that all about? And, but then you, get into, then you get into the church leadership roles and you have, you know, uh, apostles and prophets and popes and pastors and elders and overseers and deacons and archdeacons and cardinals. And, and it's hard for us to sort of make sense. How many of these terms are actually in the Bible and how many of these terms actually apply to us today? So today we're going to be uh, looking at this idea of the elder or the pastor. The title for today's message is Elders Leading Like Jesus. Next week, we're going to be looking at, at, at another office or leadership role in the church known as a deacon. So if you could open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, this has sort of always been our launching point as we've been uh, going through God's Word to try to define uh, what the church is. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 this is after Peter, whose name means rock, has put into place that first rock that Jesus said he would build his church on, the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, and then the further details that the Christ suffered and died and rose again to make the forgiveness of sins possible. And so Peter has just preached that first message, thousands of people have been baptized, and then in Acts 2.42 it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the first picture of the local church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We at our church, we aim to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We have it here in the New Testament. For them, the apostles' teaching was like standing right in front of them, living and breathing. I mean, Bartholomew was leading Bible studies, Andrew and Peter and, and James, they were, they were giving sermons, and so the apostles' teaching was right there in Jerusalem. But then as we know, as the story of the book of Acts unfolds, persecution starts, and then all the Christians get scattered, and then it, almost accidentally churches get, get planted, and then this church in Antioch gets the idea that they're loving church life so much they want the rest of the world to know. And they, they really begin to clue into the Great Commission, and they send off Paul and Barnabas as apostles to go and to preach the gospel and to start churches. 
Now turn, to, turn with me to Acts chapter 14. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they've been touring around, sharing the gospel, planting churches. And then look at what happens in verse 23. It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul's an apostle, but he doesn't appoint more apostles. This is something that we need to be clear about when we talk about leadership positions in the church, that, that apostles had an expiry date. They, they played a significant role in getting that rock in place on which the church was to be built. They were foundational in declaring that Jesus was the Christ and establishing the church. But once those churches were established, it wasn't more apostles that were appointed. It was this term, elders. Also notice how they didn't appoint one elder in every church. They appointed plural elders in every singular church. The idea is that it would be a group of people that would serve in this role known as elders. So today we're going to look at the job titles. We're going to get clear on what our elders called and referred to. Then we're going to look at the job qualifications and then the job description. So turn with me as we think about titles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. By the time we get to Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and many others, they've been planting churches all over. And Paul is now coming to the end of his third missionary journey. He's on his way back to Jerusalem where he's expecting to get arrested and be put on trial. That's how the book of Acts ends. And this is sort of Paul's sort of last words to, to a local church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, you know, the book of Ephesians. This is the group of, of people from Ephesus. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, plural elders, church singular, to come to him. And then he gives them this, this sort of final challenge. Look, look with me at verse 28. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So notice the group of people that he calls in verse 17, they're identified as elders. Then he tells them specifically that they have been, that they have been made by the Holy Spirit overseers. There's another term. And then he challenges them. He says, this is your responsibility. You need to care for the church of God, which is also called the flock. Now, that, that Greek um, verb, care for, is actually the word shepherd. Your responsibility is to shepherd the church. And so, here in Acts 20, we have the three titles that are given to elders. So, there's elders, there's overseers, and there's pastors. Now, elder simply means old guy. Uh, when, it, when in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when they're trying to describe Abraham as being too old to have children, he's called a presbyteros. He's called an elder. It, it, to be an elder just simply means you run a few laps around the track, okay? And uh, I know age is kind of relative. Some of you look at me and think I'm really young. Others of you think I'm ancient, and I'm somewhere in between. But one of the requirements for being an elder is just a little bit of maturity, a little bit of experience. I mean, Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you for, for being young, but he was still mature. He was still a presbyteros. The, the next word is overseers. The, the Greek word is episkopos. Epi means over, over and above. And then skopos, think scope. So, 
overseers. And the old English translations translate that bishop. And then we have this verb, this command to shepherd. And in Ephesians 4, it's actually described as a, as a title, as a position for elders, that they are pastors. Now, I've been using Greek words like presbyteros and episkopos to explain elders and overseers, but with pastor, you have the Greek word poimen, which was then translated into Latin before the Bible was ever translated into English. It was translated into Latin as pastor. And so, pastor is a transliteration of the Latin translation of the Greek word for, for shepherd. And so, think pasture, you know, like a shepherd leads their sheep out into pasture. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. Now, this is the incredible thing. Elders are called to be mature. They're, 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 they're expected to have run a few laps around the track, and yet God is the eternal God from everlasting to everlasting. Elders are, are called upon to be overseers, to be watchmen, to be alert, and yet they serve the God who never slumbers nor sleeps. And then elders are called to be shepherds. You know, we all, we all know the Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But then David wrote that psalm, but then there was a psalm that was written about David in Psalm 78, which says that David, who was a shepherd of actual sheep, it says that God took him from shepherding sheep and had him shepherd the people. That God actually gave David, as the king of Israel, the label of shepherd. And then you get into the book of Ezekiel, and God sees that the shepherds are not caring for the sheep. They're wounding the sheep. They're not going after the lost sheep. And Ezekiel prophesies that God would come and shepherd his sheep. And then Jesus shows up in John 10 and says, I am the good shepherd. You see, Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He is the ultimate leader and caregiver. And, and God, in his love for the church, has appointed elders, overseers, and pastors to shepherd and love the people of God. They're called to, as the title of this message is, they're called to lead like Jesus. Called to lead like Jesus. Now, it's important for us to understand as we're thinking about these terms. As I mentioned, overseers is sometimes translated as bishops. And bishop, throughout church history, kind of became this exalted position that, that there's bishops and then under, the, under below within the organizational chart, then you have pastors and you have elders, but the bishops are the important ones. And then you follow the hierarchy all up with archbishops and then, and then popes and, and all of this sort of thing. None of that is in the Bible. We just simply have these three synonyms, these three titles that always describe the same group of people in the local church, elders, overseers, and pastors. Now, we also have some mis misunderstanding and misrepresentation of how this plays out in churches like ours. Some people think that the pastor, that's the one that went to seminary, that's the one that does the teaching, that's the one who's sort of on staff at the church, and the elders, that's just kind of like an advisory board. They're just sort of behind the scenes, just kind of managing things, but it's really the, the work is being done by the, by the pastor. That's not true. A pastor is an overseer, an overseer is a pastor, an overseer is an elder, an elder is an overseer and a pastor. These are all synonyms. 
So at our church, we have myself and Chris Shipley and Jonathan Mendoza and Michael Doors and Marvin McCoody and Dennis Baggett and Yogi Nyack. These are the elders of our church. These are the pastors of our church. These are the overseers of our church. Those are the titles that are given. Next, I want us to look at the qualifications. So turn with, you, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the passage that Sheila read to us at the beginning, uh, right before this, this message. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, Timothy finds himself almost, almost a generation later, several years later, he is in Ephesus, the very place where those elders that Paul met with in Acts chapter 20 were from. Now it's the same location, and Paul is telling Timothy, who's a young elder, he's telling him, be on the lookout for elders. Be on the lookout for people who can help lead the church. And we already uh, looked at this passage, uh, we already had it read to us, so I'm just going to hit some of the, the highlights here. If we could skip ahead one slide, Matthew, that would be uh, really helpful. What we're going to see in this passage is the qualifications for being an elder, an overseer, a pastor are threefold. One is a desire, the second is character, and the third is ability. Desire, character, ability. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You have to want it. You can't just volunteer because no one else wanted to. You, you, you can't just sort of say, well, I, I'll, I guess I'll do it. I'll see how. No, there needs to be a sense of calling to this. You'll never survive in this role if you don't feel called and compelled to, uh, to pursue it. So there is a, a requirement to desire it. Then there is character. Character. It says in verse 2, it says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach is this catch-all term. What it means is that you are above, you are out of reach of being reproached. A reproach is like an accusation. That not that this person is perfect, but that the way that they, they live their life keeping a fair distance away from any sort of accusation being leveled against them So what does it mean to be above reproach? Tabidi Enyabwile uh, describes above reproach in this way. He says, being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man whom no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such acts. They are above reproach. They're keeping at such a distance from any of those kinds of accusations based off the way that they live their life. The character begins with the person's personal life. Look at, look at verse 2. They've got to be sober-minded and self-controlled. The husband of one wife, not a drunkard, not a lover of money. See, they're not controlled by greed. They're not controlled by substances. They're not controlled by lust. They're not a drunkard. They're not greedy. They're, they're, they're not sleeping around. They are a husband of one wife. They, they have their personal lives under control. They are sober-minded. They are self-controlled. They have a capacity for self-denial, to make the kinds of… Listen, if we are going to lead like Jesus, and Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of laying down His life for the sheep, then 
An elder, an overseer, a pastor must have a capacity for self-denial in the service of others. They've got to have their personal life under control. Secondly, they've got to have their social life under control. In verse, in verse 2, it says that he's hospitable. He welcomes people into his home, that, that he welcomes people into conversations. He's on the lookout for visitors to a church worship service to make sure that everyone feels at home and feels included. It also says in verse 3 that this individual is not to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. We looked at this word gentle when we studied the book of Philippians. This is the idea of being reasonable, that if someone presents an opposing view to you, that you don't jump down their throat, that you don't immediately violently argue with them, but that you hear them out. You respectfully listen to alternative viewpoints. This is how, so socially, an elder is to be welcoming, inviting people in, listening to people when they have other ideas that they would want to share. So there's desire, there's character, and then there is ability. Ability. Notice how it says, again, he's, he's a husband of one wife. Then look down at verse 4. He he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Again, this doesn't mean that the person has the perfect family, but they are proactive in managing and parenting their household. Now, we should notice here that when Paul is talking about elders, he's using masculine pronouns. He's saying he. He's talking about being a husband. He's talking about managing a household as a, as a father. Paul here is assuming that the potential elders that he's talking about to Timothy would be men. Now, some people might think, well, that, that's just the evidence of the culture at the time. They were sort of less, less illumined in those, uh, in those days, and things have changed, and so certainly that can't apply to us uh, now. But if we look at the broader context of what, what Paul is saying here, if, if, if we understand he's talking about being the husband of one wife, well, in Ephesians 5, men are supposed to be in a leadership role in a marriage. And Fathers aren't to exasperate their children in Ephesians 6. Men are supposed to lead in the home. And so if men in the Bible are called upon to lead in the home, then men, in, it would only make sense, especially with what he says about managing household, it would only make sense that men would, would be required to lead in the church. And the, the context here, if you look back one chapter in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. Now, again, some, some people would excuse that as cultural, as women were uneducated in those days. That's not true. Women were educated in those days. And it's, it's, it's what Paul is saying here is not based off culture. Look at what it's based off. It's based off creation. Look at the explanation in verse 12. He says, for, which means because. Here's why men are to teach and have authority. Here's why they are put in that position of leadership. Because Adam was formed first, then Eve. He's pointing to the order of creation. 
Now, I know this might, this might rattle some people. That, that you, you might think this goes against everything that I was brought up to believe or, or understand in terms of equality, but I would just ask you this question. What, what if this is not a matter of equality? What, what if this is an issue of sameness? What, what, if, what if this is an issue of men and women being equal and yet still having distinct roles? Our, our, on our website, our church's doctrinal statement says this. We want people to know this up front so there isn't any confusion. It says, Hope Mississauga affirms the God-ordained and significant role that women should play in establishing and leading the local church. Every leadership opportunity is open to women except those that are excluded by Scripture. The Scriptures clearly state that men are to serve in the office of elder and that women are not to serve in church positions in which they exercise authority over men or in which they teach doctrine to men, 1 Timothy 2.12. We do not see this as an issue of equality, for men and women are equal under God, Galatians 3.28. The Bible is clear that men and women do not have the same roles. Qualified women should serve in any leadership position that is not forbidden in the scriptures, and that's only one position, which is eldering or, or teaching in a position of, of authority over men. You see, this is not a, an issue of equality. Every woman in this room, every woman that belongs to this church, you need to hear this and understand this because this can be misconstrued. Every woman in this room and every woman that's a part of this church is a spiritually and intellectually equal with men. And it's, it's not a matter of one being superior to the other, anything like that. It's just a matter of God establishing an order in creation. If you have questions about that, I would love uh, to talk with you about that, about that more. So he had, an elder must have this ability to manage their household well. And then they also must have uh, another Ability. Again, let's get that next slide up. So this is under the, this is under the heading of, of ability. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. The elder must be able to teach. Must be able to teach. If the church is to carry on what was started in Acts chapter 2 by being devoted to the apostles' teaching, then elders are required and must be able to teach. That could look different in different uh, uh, contexts or different giftingness, but every elder must be qualified, capable to be able to take someone faithfully from Genesis to Revelation and unfold the story of Scripture. May, will, would be able to systematically work through different themes and topics, whether it be the Trinity or, or whether it be salvation or whether it be creation or or any of these things, an elder should be able to take someone from cover to cover, theme to theme, topic to topic, to be able to teach the Word of God. It's a requirement for an elder. Now, as we think about these, as we think about these uh, qualifications, the, the desire and the character and the ability, it's important to understand that no one can observe these things just over, you know, 15 minutes or even a couple of days. When Paul and Barnabas appointed those initial elders in Iconium and Lystra and Derby in Acts chapter 14, they did that several months after the church was established. Because here's the thing. A strong desire at one moment can just turn out to be a whim or a phase someone was going through. A desire needs to be prolonged over a long period of time. Someone's ability to manage their household can't just be observed in one, you know, 45-minute 
dinner at a restaurant, okay? I've had lots of 45-minute dinners at a restaurant with my kids, and you'd be like, that guy's not an elder. You can't judge someone's teaching ability just off one Bible study or one sermon. It can't just happen just quickly. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, don't be so hasty in laying on hands. Sometimes people's gifts, they kind of go behind them. Sometimes people's sin kind of goes behind them. And it's only time that will reveal these sort of things. So that's why he says here, look at verse 6, he must not be a new convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. You see, a, a new convert hasn't had the time. Hasn't had the time to really, do I have this desire? Have people affirm that I have the character, that I have the ability? It takes, it takes time. And of course someone's going to be puffed up if they're a new convert because they haven't really been through the valleys. They haven't, they haven't stumbled. They haven't fallen. But this is all part of maturity. Is, is, is growing and moving forward even through our failures. So Paul lays it out here. These are the qualifications for our elders. And then verse 7, he comes back to being above reproach. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So even within the church and then even outside of the church, the reputation being above reproach is so important. Then turn with me to the book of Titus which follows right after 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul's saying the same thing to Titus. Titus is on an island called Crete, and he's, he's been responsible for building up a plurality of elders in the, uh, in the churches that are there. Verse 6, look how it begins. It says, if anyone is above reproach, there it is, there's character. The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now that statement, his children are believers, that can sometimes be um, a stumbling block for some of us. There may be someone who seems to be qualified as an elder, but maybe their, their adult children decide not to follow Jesus. Does that mean that uh, th that person isn't qualified to be an elder? Well, the word there is simply faithful children. That's how the King James translates it. And the idea is not, is not saving faith, but just that the context explains it, that they're faithful, that they, that they are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, that they're not living these out-of-control lives. If an elder has a child who's a, a little one or a teenager or even an adult who's living this wild and crazy lifestyle, where should that, where should that person's focus be? On reining in that poor lost child. It shouldn't be on serving the church. That's what Paul is getting at, getting at here. It says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. There's the word again. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to, re and, and eight also to rebuke those who contradict it. There's the teaching requirement again. He must be able to hold on to the word of truth, to rebuke those who contradict the word of God. If someone comes in teaching false doctrine, then an elder needs to be able to say, no, 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 look here in the book. It says this. Th these are the requirements. Notice all the same character stuff is there. You've got hospitable. You've got husband of one wife. You've got not a drunkard. You've got self-control. The, the personal, the social, and these particular abilities. 
Twice now, Paul has mentioned that an elder can't be arrogant or conceited. Listen, leadership comes with prestige, and that can go to your head if you're not careful. They're not supposed to be quick-tempered. Being a leader has all kinds of frustrations and problems. And a leader has to manage to be able to keep their cool. A leader is not to be a drunkard because there's a lot of pressure and a lot of desire to escape into other, other sinful areas. A leader is not meant to be violent because leadership comes with conflict. What's important for us to recognize here is that all of these characteristics right now, some of you might be thinking like right from the beginning, well, I don't desire to be an elder. I don't aspire, so this message doesn't apply to me. All of these characteristics right here, we could, we could spend the rest of the afternoon cross-referencing every single word that's written in First Timothy and in Titus, and we could find that each and every single one of these characteristics are required of every single Christian, except being able to teach. Some of you are like, whew, <laughs> sometimes I wish I didn't have to be able to teach. But th- th- these are, this is not just the standard. D.A. Carson says, what's remarkable about these qualifications is that they're not remarkable. Like an elder's not supposed to be drunk. Duh. Like, what, what does it mean? Elders, you all, you know, get your alcohol under control. But everyone else, it's bottoms up. Well, I mean, that's not like... Or like, or elders, you're not supposed to be pugnacious. You're not supposed to be violent. But we all can have fistfights in the parking lot. No, it's... These are the standards for, for all of us. These are the qualifications that God has laid out for elders because an elder is supposed to lead by example. And that brings us to our third and final point, the job description of an elder. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and find verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. That's the primary job description. Shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. you got to aspire to it. No one's going to force you. No one's going to make you do it under compulsion. These are all things we've said before. Verse 4, not for shameful gain, you can't be greedy, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. Notice this, but being examples. That's the whole point of the qualifications, is that an elder would be an example to the rest of the church. Look at verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We are called to shepherd. Pastors, elders are given the responsibility of shepherd. So this came up in Acts 20. It's coming up here again in 1 Peter. What, what, are we, what does shepherding actually look like? You can, you can break it down in these three categories. Uh, lead, feed, and protect. An elder is supposed to lead and feed and protect. An elder is supposed to lead. Lead by example. It's, it's right there in, in verse 3. Being an example to, to the flock. 
Elders are supposed to, to, to lead as shepherds, just like God leads. He leads us to green pastures and, and still waters, sometimes leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, that, that an elder is called upon wherever the church is headed, whether it be corporately or wherever the individual sheep may be going through, the elder is called to lead them through that by the grace of God. So our church collectively, we've been trying to live through this pandemic thing. It doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And we have been going through the experience, literally this has been true. Yogi, Jonathan, you can vouch to this, some of the staff can vouch to this. We have literally finished the Word document, about to convert it into PDF to make it permanent, and then another announcement comes from the government, and everything changes. We're literally playing chess on a sphere, and the ball is rolling downhill. And we're trying to make the right moves, but listen, that's what, the, that's what, what we're called to do as leaders. I never, I never thought that I would be coming up with, with you know, measuring how many chairs equals uh, two meters apart from one another, or what we need to say about mass, or all of, these, all of these things, and yet here we are. We have to lead through this. And we, we, we have to lead individuals through, whether it's an individual, a church member, whatever valley of the shadow of death they may be, they may be going through, whether it be depression, or whether it be bereavement, or whether it be infertility, or whether it be unemployment, whatever it may be, the elders are called upon to come alongside and lead through that. Even in sickness, it says in James chapter 5, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James 5, 14. This is, this is what an elder is called to do, to lead people through, to lead people to the Lord who is the chief shepherd, to lead, and then to feed. Here's Peter telling them to shepherd. Remember, Jesus, when he was restoring Peter in John 21, what did he keep saying? He kept repeating. He said, do you love me? And then Peter would say, yeah, 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 I love you. And then what did Jesus say? Three times he said, feed my sheep. Physical sheep eat grass. Christian sheep eat the word of God. And so it's the elder's responsibility, whether, whether someone like me who has a primary role of teaching on a regular basis, but I'm, I'm continually bouncing things off of our other elders, working through passages, working through outlines, talking about theology, so that what is being taught is actually coming from the Word of God. Elders must feed, and then elders must protect. Elders must protect. Paul told those elders back in Acts chapter 20 that there were going to be fierce wolves who were going to come and try to destroy the church. Some of you have lived through that. Whether it was here at this church or some other church, some of you have known what false teaching can do. And so often wolves don't show up and say, hi, I'm a wolf and I'm here to destroy your church. No, they come in what kind of clothing? What kind of clothing do, do wolves come in? They come in sheep's clothing. And so an elder, again, like Titus 1 says, they got to hold fast to the trustworthy word as taught so that they can rebuke those who, who contradict it. There's a call to be alert in protecting, protecting the church from false teaching and then protecting the church, protecting the flock from wandering. Again, elders are called to lead like Jesus. Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep about, to, to show the heart of his father, that God, who is the ultimate shepherd, he goes after those who stray, and that's the role of an elder, to go after those who are, who are wandering. So elders are to lead and feed 
and protect. So what, what does that mean for members of a local church? Well, verse 4 reminds us who's really in charge. It says, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. So the elders are shepherding, but the chief shepherd is the ultimate shepherd. He's the one who's really doing the shepherd and shepherding, and any, any work that the elders are doing is just delegated authority that's temporary. So when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive a, the, the unfading crown of glory. Then look at verse 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So there is a, there is a, a responsibility among the church membership to be, to be subject to those who are in the position of elders. That can be a difficult thing. We, we're in many different relationships in the Bible and in the Word of and just in living everyday life, there are times in which there is authority, and we must be subject to that authority. It doesn't mean that the authority is perfect and infallible, but we subject ourselves to these authority figures because we recognize that there is a chief shepherd and ultimate authority. But look what it says at the end of verse 5. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. It doesn't just say clothe yourselves, church members, or you who are younger, or you who are subject. You guys need to be humble. No, it says all of you, the elders and the church members, they need to clothe themselves with, hu- with humility. You see, when I, when I think about relationships, I think about gears in a machine. And when a machine is, is working well, there's going to be natural, there's going to be natural um, friction. There's going to be natural heat. Sometimes sparks are going to fly. Sometimes the gears are going to be weared down because they're rubbing up against one another. But humility is like oil in the gears. If you got enough oil in there, then those gears can interact as, as much as necessary. If the elders are humble, if the congregation is humble, it's really hard to go wrong with humility. Because as soon as, we, as, soon as humility exits the equation, the gears start to grind. Because look at what it says. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So all of us are called to be humble. And why are we called to be humble? We're called to be humble because we know that Jesus is the chief shepherd. That the pastors, the elders, and the overseers, they can't get so puffed up because they understand that it's really Jesus who's in charge. And, and the church members that, that are in the position of, of following the leadership of the elders, they can't, they can't keep their eyes too much on the elders because they know that ultimately it's Jesus who is leading them. Turn with me lastly to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17. Revelation 7, 17, and I'll close here. Now, I know some pastors say I'll close here, and then they talk for another 15 minutes, but I really mean it. I'm going to close here, okay? So, Revelation 7, 17, it says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, loved ones, this is where we're all headed right now. All of us are heading to a place where Jesus will shepherd us. And right now, He is shepherding us. He is the chief shepherd. That means He is the senior pastor. He is the chief shepherd. And so, really, on our website, you know, if you go to the elders page and you see Yogi's face or Jonathan's face or Chris's face or my face, and really in front of our names, it should say interim elder. 
interim pastor. I know sometimes you only see that. That normally means like the church is in crisis, right? Oh, they got an interim pastor. Someone must have left, or they got an interim elders board. Listen, we're all interim. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, and he has entrusted the responsibility of leading and feeding and protecting his flock to elders, overseers, and pastors. But ultimately, in Revelation, when it all ends, and I said I would close here and I will, that he will be our shepherd. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be the church that you desire us to be, Lord. God, we know that we are not a perfect church. There's not one single perfect person that is a part of this fellowship, that's a part of this family, Lord, but we want to be faithful in seeking to honor you Lord, in how we organize ourselves, Lord, and then how we interact within that organization. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be humbled by the fact that you are the, the shepherd, that you are the overseer, that you are the elder over all of us. And so, God, we all have different roles to play in our church. Help us to be faithful in fulfilling them for your glory. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.